So last week, I mentioned how each of us need to be seeking God in this moment for our lives personally, asking that question, God, where are you taking me? God, what are you doing in this moment uh, in my life personally, or what is the work that you are wanting to do in this pruning season? In a season of disorientation, where God is purging, where he's sifting, pruning all of us, we need to be seeking God for what is next. But I think it also goes without saying that there's a deeper work God wants to do in his church, uh, whether that is locally, but also globally. We are all experiencing this uh, new normal of being remote, of being separated from one another. And it's how, how do we do church? How do we follow Jesus in this unprecedented moment? We need to be asking ourselves those questions. God, what are you doing? What is next? Uh, as most of you know, we have not been able to carry on our normal rhythms at Refuge for the last six weeks, and we have no idea when exactly we'll be able to do so again. And so, as we've been talking about, we lament the loss of many of the normal rhythms of our church and of the church at large, habits that we have cultivated and probably some that we have fallen into, some ruts that we have fallen into. But I would, I would stop and just encourage you to think about this. We have been gifted this powerful redefining moment in order to ask, what is the church? What is the church? Does a building define the church? Does a gathering on a Sunday or any type of gathering per se define the church? As we read through scripture, we see that the church is the community of the spirit of God. And so maybe for some of us in this season, we have to come back to that and really begin to think again about what does it mean to be a community of the spirit of the living God in this time? Or maybe asking that question, what is essential to the church? What, what, what does it really mean to be the church? What are the essential things that we cannot lose or we cannot give up? And I think Acts 2.42 through 47 really makes that clear for us. And this has been something that the church has followed, this pattern, this liturgy for many, many millennia. It's the Jesus story. It's the Jesus life. It's the Jesus meal. It's the Jesus prayer. It's been pointed out by many scholars and pastors that the early church was able to adapt so well to the many changes and challenges it faced. And even historically that the church has reemerged in different locations over and over again because it did not or has not been tied to a central location or place. You think about even just uh, Islam. Islam is tied to Mecca, and really the religion of Islam has hovered around the Middle East for multiple millennia. That's where it has stayed but Christianity has popped up again and again in places all over the world, places that have no connection to Jerusalem, that had no connection to Rome. 
And so we see that Jerusalem was not the church's center. Antioch is not the church's center. Rome was not, is not the church's center. America is not the church's center. And when you read through Acts, you see that the church dynamics radically change um, all throughout the, the narrative, right? You've got the gathering of 120 in the beginning. And then in just a day, 5,000 people are added. Think about what the church dynamics looked like, going from 120 to 5,000 in a day, how they had to adapt, how they had to figure out how to disciple these people and how to include them in the fellowship. You think about how at one point in time they're attending the temple daily for times of prayer and worship, and then they're also gathering from house to house regularly, and then all of a sudden, the day that Stephen is murdered, the church scatters, and all that's left in Jerusalem is the apostles. Think about how the church had to turn on a dime. It had to be so adaptable. It had to be so flexible because of persecution, but not only persecution and these dynamics of people being saved, but also there are times in the narrative where the spirit is doing something new. God is moving the mission forward into Asia. He's moving the center from the center of focus from Jerusalem to Antioch. He is including the Gentiles in the gospel. And what happens there is again, the church has to be adaptable. The church has to be flexible to, to keep up with the leading of the spirit, to keep up with the gospel, to keep up with the work that God wants to do. The church had to be adaptable and flexible flexible to what the Spirit of God was doing, and yet it had to maintain its center on Jesus, on the gospel and the kingdom of God. Oh, I think looking at our own situation, we can be tempted to hold on to a location. We can be tempted to hold on to the patterns that we have just, you know, cultivated, the patterns that we have fallen into, and be like, oh, well, if we don't have that, do we have refuge? Do we have church? Or are we really the people of God? But I would say if we do <clears throat> that, we might miss out on the deep work that God wants to do. I think that I've mentioned this before, and this is not like a told you so, or like, hey, Char is a prophet, or anything like that. But we, as we were going through Mark, right before all this happened, we were talking about God's spirit. And we're talking about in the life of Jesus, Jesus is fulfilling the, the vision of Isaiah, but he's doing it in a way that is cryptic, in a way that is hidden, in a way that is totally unexpected. And we were saying how that's how God works. You can't just kind of, run ahead of him. You've got to keep your eyes on him. You've got to stay focused on him as the center. And if you do not do that, if you are not leaning in, if you are not paying attention, you will miss out on the work God wants to do. Church, I think we are living in a moment exactly like that. And if we are focused on what we had in the past or if we're focused on what we thought God was doing, we are going to miss out on the unique work that God can do and wants to do in this season. In this season, I keep coming back to Moses' psalm as we have not been able to meet, as we have not been able to gather together. I've been thinking about Psalm 90. Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. As we've been talking about journeying through the wilderness. I mean, Moses wrote this in the desert wilderness of Sinai. As they're going from Egypt, as they're going to the promised land, and they're longing for that sense of home, Moses realizes all the while, oh Lord, home is not the promised land, it's you. 
You are our home and our dwelling place in all generations. God, you are the rest that our soul longs for. And if we have you, we have that rest. If we have you, we have that peace. If we have you, we have that home. And so we need to stay focused on our center. We need to keep our eyes fixed on the Lord. I want to be someone who is always after the presence of God. I want to be where he is. I want to be in the middle of what he's doing, even though, even though it might be a journey through the valley of the shadow of death. The church also should be about that presence of God. But in order to have that, we need to be flexible, flexible in a time of uncertainty, able to adapt to and even bear fruit in seasons of drought all the while staying on center. So how do we do that? How do we, how, how do we remain adaptable and flexible in one sense and yet stay on center and focused at the same time? How do we have that consistency and flexibility? I think we do that through liturgy. Liturgy, that might sound kind of weird right now, but I, I do think that this is the key to all this. The early church used the word liturgy to describe its various acts and forms of worship. And so, but for those of us today, the word carries connotations of high church traditions, right? Like Anglican, Presbyterian, or maybe Catholic worship structures. Mark Buchanan, in his book, The Rest of God, says this. Liturgy originally meant a public work. Something accomplished by a community for the community. It was a town bridge, for instance, or a village well, or a city wall. It was something built by the people and for the people. The oddness and awkwardness of the church's decision to import this word is even greater when we realize they had a word for worship close at hand, a word that was in wide circulation within a religious context. That was the word orgy. Orgy now carries, of course, all sorts of sordid undertones <laughs> and even overtones, but in the days of the early church, it didn't, or at least it was still in the background. But orgy described a public event that produced a private, usually ecstatic experience. It was the word pagan religions used for their worship. It didn't matter how many people were involved. The emphasis was always squarely on the emotional experience of the individual. It was about me. Though there might be many people involved in this worship, this pagan worship, this orgy, it was all about me. It was all about what I got out of it. It was all narcissistic. It was all selfish. Not so with liturgy. Liturgy is done by me. I am invited, perhaps required to play a role, but it's not about me. It's about us. It's about the other, and its purpose is to benefit the entire community to provide protection or access to all. One of the more common ways to use the word liturgy was in reference to bridge building. So just think about that for a moment. What we need right now, church, is liturgy. Liturgy, then, is to construct something that spans separate worlds, orientation, reorientation and it provides an efficient means of crossing from one to the other so in a season of transition what we need is we need bridge building work of liturgy 
so that we can transition well into this next season. The early church, of course, had a liturgy, right? We just read about it. And I believe that it was their liturgy that helped them adapt to whatever thing was happening, whether it was persecution, whether it was an increase in those who were being saved, whether it was the Lord's new work that he was doing to include the Gentiles, it allowed them to be flexible and adaptable while still remaining on center through whatever life threw at them. In Acts 2, it says they devoted themselves to the apostles' doctrine, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and the prayers. And throughout the ages of the church, this has been a constant liturgy of the church through the manifest, though, though you know, at times it may take a different manifestation or a different shape or form. These have been consistent in keeping the church on center and keeping us on mission and keeping us focused, Jesus central and kingdom of God focused. Now, of course, as I said, it may seem random or off subject to talk about liturgy right now, but I don't think so. In a season of such uncertainty of what our future gatherings will look like and even how long that will last until the next thing happens, there's a need for each individual to think and act liturgically. We need bridge building. We need a work that is done by each of us for all of us, where all of us are included in the work, but it's not just about me, it's about all of us. It's about the building up and the encouragement of the church. We need this bridge building because the church, after all, is the community of the Spirit of God, a community, and the work that this community is called to is a work that is done by us for us. For, now, for quite some time, the elders of refuge have been talking about and praying through how we do community and mission outside of our Sunday gathering and how we can better support our whole church in living out our discipleship to Jesus in our local community. And we have seen that COVID-19 and the shelter-in-place order has really helped solidify for us how necessary it is for us to move in that direction immediately. So what we will be doing is we will be organizing refuge into geographical groups for fellowship, for accountability, for prayer, and for mission. This will give us a context for practicing this liturgy of the early church. And there will be more details to come on how exactly we're going to do this. But doing so is not only healthy, but will become more necessary with the uncertainty of when we'll be able to gather as a collective whole again. Through these groups, we can follow the local and state requirements of gatherings of 10 or less for phase two of the, government's, or of the governor's plan and potentially 50 or less for phase three of the governor's plan. We, like the early church, want to be flexible and obedient to the call of God so that whatever is next, we're able to adapt. Uh, we're, we're able to adapt by still holding on to and cultivating the essentials of the church, whether in large or small groups, whether gathered or scattered. So for the next few weeks, what we're gonna do is we're gonna look at the essential church as seen in Acts 2.42. We're gonna really pull back, like I said, and just examine like how we maybe lost sight of the simplicity of the Jesus story, of the Jesus way of life, of the Jesus meal of the Jesus prayer, have we maybe just gotten off center in these things? And by doing so, it will allow us 
to see what it really is to be the church and how our habits, how our liturgies, and our rhythms set the tone for our life as a community and followers of Jesus. So for the next four weeks, we're gonna do that. We're just gonna look at this liturgy of the early church. And we're gonna focus on how Jesus was and is central to the church and each essential element found in Acts 2. And we hope through these studies, we will collectively and individually be brought back to a beautiful simplicity that will, be, that will produce a renewed vibrancy and potency for our lives as followers of Jesus. And as our call as witnesses to spread the gospel and make known the kingdom of God. And so church, we're asking that you would engage in this with us that you would be asking yourself questions like, who do I want to be? How am I going to follow Jesus personally? How am I going to discipline myself in these essential things in this next season? How are you going to do the liturgical work that is done by you for us? How am I going to do the liturgical work that is done by me for us? Because it takes all of us. It, the church is the community of the Spirit of God. And as we do these things, we believe that God will light this on fire, that he will direct our fellowship into what he is doing in this season, and we will be useful for the kingdom of God, that we will be fruitful in building one another up and strengthening one another in the call of God on our lives personally and the call of, on, of God on our lives corporately. So Lord, we ask God in this next season that you would speak to us. Lord, as we pull back and we examine these essentials of the church throughout the ages, Lord, would you light our hearts on fire afresh and anew for Jesus for his story, Lord, that we would be more excited about the story of Jesus than we are about the latest Netflix release or that we are about the latest blockbuster release, that we would be more excited about the Jesus story than the lifting of the shelter in place, that we would have more hope in the kingdom of God than in the opening up again of California and the economy. Lord, focus our hearts and our eyes back on you, Lord, because if we have you, we have everything. Lord, if we have our home in you, our home, our rest, our peace can never be taken from us. And so, Lord, lead our hearts back to you through the season of purging, through the season of refining. And Lord, plant a good seed so, Lord, new life will break through. And so, Lord, that those around us in this community might see that new life that is only available through the crucified Son of God and through his resurrection, and they would be drawn toward him through us. We ask this in your name. Amen.